to Enlighten Up, the Hilarity podcast with Lizzie Allen and Karina Lauren. We take hard topics, throw them up in the air, and dissolve them with laughter. Each week, we feature a comedian from the Hilarity course, and we discuss topics from their set. From sexual shame to getting older, we tackle it all with humor and heart. Our goal is to awaken the masses, promote love, and increase connection by dissolving shame, all while making you laugh until you pee your pants. So let's enlighten up and get started. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode five of Enlighten Up. Can you believe it? Folks, we're already at episode five. Thanks for coming along this ride with us. I know we really appreciate you out there listening, feverishly waiting for the next episode. We understand. We understand. Thank you so much. Absolutely. It's like back in the olden days where you'd watch the episode and there was a cliffhanger and then you'd have to wait like a week or two, sometimes a month. I don't know when the month thing happened, but then boom. Should we start leaving a cliffhanger at the end? We should leave a cliffhanger. Like you just go, the secret to life is in next episode. We're going to learn what Lizzie knows to be the secret of life. How do you get a little bit lightened, enlightened <laughs> next episode? Yeah. How do you get a little bit more enlightened? Oh, you know what I found out? Tune in next week to find out what I found out. <laughs> we have we have a missed opportunity here. We have we've got to capitalize on this. You know me, I'm the queen of cliffhangers. Like Lizzie'll say, "Oh, how come you couldn't come today?" I'll, I'll build drama around it, right? Like, yeah, OMG. <laughs> and then and then you text back, "What?" Silence. Sorry, so much going on my end. <laughs> have so much to tell you. What? What do you have to tell me? Can't talk right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much how our text messages go. Thanks a lot, Karina. Yeah, hundred percent. And then and then we finally get together, and you're like, "What was the big thing?" Oh, Shane just had the car, and I couldn't use it. <laughs> yeah, it's just like it's like oh oh, it was nothing. It's like yeah. nothing. Yeah, it's okay. nothing. Yeah queen of building drama. So we definitely can do that in this podcast. You guys want more drama? Just let us know in, in the comments. <laughs> in <box>. the comments. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a bit of a crazy week this week. Have you? Well, no, not really. Are we building drama around this? A little bit. <laughs> Writing this week, I've been working on a chapter two, because I'm, I'm on my chapter samples for the, uh, for the old book proposal, back to that. So all week I've been writing about my teenage years and to write about your teenage years, you have to plunge yourself back into the feeling of being a teenager. And it was a horrible time. Was it horrible for you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, all I have to do is pick up my teenage diary and I'm a bit like, holy, like talk about building drama. I've got, you know, got all these secret codes where it's like, I've written, but then I've crossed things out. There's a reference page that if you know how to find it in the middle of the diary, you'll be able to, you know, get what my codes are. Teenagers are, teenage life is like the epitome of drama, hey? Oh, it was just horrible, horrible. I was like that men in black alien. I, I 
use this analogy all the time, but there was that alien that squeezed itself into the body of a man and it was really ill-fitting and he sort of walked like and the skin didn't fit properly and it was all baggy around the eyes and stuff. That's how I felt trying to mold myself into this teenage girl. You know, like, uh, yeah, it was horrible. Anyway, I've just brought the whole, I brought the whole vibe of the podcast down by talking about that. Yeah, yeah let's go. Let's all sink back into our teenage years oh, and just God, live there. You, I can feel it. I can feel how wrong and bad and awful I felt. The thing is, though, I think every once in a while, people need to kind of just reflect on different parts in their lives in order to have compassion for others. Like sometimes we forget, right? Because I, I don't know if I ever told you, but last year I went through this exercise where I'd been kind of judging people. I know, <laughs> shocking me, shocking. judging people. And I ended up doing this exercise where I wrote down like the beliefs I had about this person. So I'd say, I would never do X, Y, Z. But then I wrote all the times I literally did X, Y, Z. And it was like a page or two of the mm. times I had done X, Y, Z. <clears throat> so it's good to kind of go, okay. That's the compassion. Like, I'm sure there's no new feelings on this planet. And we kind of are all in the same boat of being in this human being form, our meat suit or meat suit <laughs> or like human form that we're taking. And the teenage years are tough because you're going through so much change and awarenesses. And you almost feel like you're an adult, but you're not an adult. Yeah, it's like a no man's land, isn't it? Between. Oh. Sort of the blissful ignorance of childhood and then the autonomy of adulthood, but then there's this horrible sort of morphing period in between where, you know, you're socially changing, emotionally changing, physically changing, and it's almost just like this sort of horrible, ugh, just, ugh. Yeah, you're trying, to, you're trying to figure out who you are. Unfortunately for me, I figured out who I was, was a drinker. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was writing about that. I really struggled, but then when I found cannabis and alcohol and smoking cigarettes and all of that, just like the lights went on in the world, you know, it just felt like all the color came back. I had control over something, you know, I was like a terrified teenager that just pretended I was really confident and I had everything together. But inside I was just like constantly just trying to sort of defend against anyone finding out. Oh God, I'm just boring myself. You can tell what kind of week I've had. It's been a bit like, <laughs> oh, gross. But I managed to send the chapter off to my editor and that and that feels good because there's, you know, 98% of writing is rewriting. So I thought I'd just get, get the first 2% done and then I'll rewrite it 10,000 times. I'm going to stop talking about it. How's your week been? Also, I just want to point out, like, let's celebrate the fact you have an editor because that's new. That's news. That's exciting. Thank you. Yeah. I, did, did I not tell you that last episode? I don't think or so. That, no. Don't oh, think I so. suppose that's new since. That's yeah, new. time just flies, doesn't it? Time is a construct of human beings. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's where I'm at. <laughs> I've had a great week. I performed with Alexander Brown and the Boulevardiers. Oh, my God. And it was mad crazy. It was so awesome. Um, I sang for the first time ever in public and I had a number of band members coming up asking me if I was joking, if that was the first time I sang. And I was like, no, like I've done some rapping, but that's about all I've ever committed to. So it was pretty exciting. 
I wasn't nervous for the show, which was weird because I always get nervous with addictive comedy, even though I act like I don't, but I definitely like my heart races. Hang on a minute. You are, I always get nervous before a show and I always used to like even, I'm a lot better now because I've had more practice, but before I was like, oh, oh, I feel so nervous. And I'd say to you, hey, hey, are you nervous? You go, no. (laughs) Every single time you pretend that you had no nerves. Were you lying to me this whole time? No, I don't actually get the nerves until right before I'm about to step on stage. Like I'm talking seconds. And that's where my heart rate will spike to like 120. I won't say it's hard to manage because I've reframed it as it's not nerves. I'm excited. And I just try to use it now. But when we first started doing it, I found it almost unmanageable. When we did the big show with the 1,000 people audience, oh boy, I, I was like having to do some heavy breathing. Oh, that was awful, that show. I, I mean, we did a good job. Thank God. But inside for the whole thing, I wanted to run off stage. Yeah. Anyways, I was asked to join the band as a full member. Mm -hmm. And they want me to sing more. That's amazing. Yeah. It's all happening. Like I saw the videos of you. Unfortunately, I couldn't come in the end because I had to go and uh, do this therapeutic weekend. Yeah, you looked amazing. You had that beautiful red dress on and Vivian. You know. Vivian, is that what you got it from? No, I named her Vivian. Oh, you named a dress. The th- the thing is, right? Ellen and Karina, my comedy buddies, they start talking about clothes and purses and earrings and things like that and I'm like, "No, I'm not I'm not going to have this conversation. I don't want to talk about a dress you've named. I just want to say you looked amazing in the dress." <laughs> Lizzie will just like leave the room. (laughs) She's like, ew, gross. Just leaves. Sometimes Ellen will just show me a picture of some earrings on the phone and go, do you like these? (laughs) Just for my reaction, which I'll just look at her and go, I'm not having this conversation and I'll walk off. Yeah. I can't believe it. Oh, however. They're so cute. Let's just say if the... If the shoe is flipped, no, reversed. What is the saying? The shoe's, the shoe's on the other on foot. The other foot. Okay, and you suddenly want fashion advice? Oh, everyone stop because Lizzie wants to know what shirt to wear for the show. Oh, it's not fashion advice I want. I want wardrobe. Even to my partner, I say, how's my hair? And she goes, it looks fine. She doesn't even look up. Yeah, she doesn't care. She doesn't care. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. They just like, yeah, Lizzie, you look fine. Just, go, you know what? Just go out there, you clown. Everyone yeah. <laughs> <laughs> else turned up in Gore-Tex. Don't worry about it. Uh, okay, so. All right, dear listeners, we are rolling into our set of our comedian, Yumi, whose YouTube video on hilarious Asian stereotypes has, what, 2,000, 3,000? 3,000 views. 3,000 views. It is getting hits and we're going to have it get hit a lot. What? And please welcome to the stage, Yumi. Okay. I need to calm down. So I'm just, everyone follow me. Breathe in. Breathe out. This one's just for me. Breathe in. Breathe out. Okay. Thank you, Ellen. Thanks very much. <laughs> this is so weird. I can't, I can't really see anyone. <laughs> 
Anyways, uh, lovely to have you guys. Thanks for coming out tonight. And thank you to my lovely classmates and Lizzie and, and Ellen. This has just been such a great experience. Um, so as you all know, we are graduates of Lizzie's stand-up comedy class. And for one of her classes, she kind of suggested that we write jokes about, about her appearance. So I was just like, huh, maybe I'll just Google it. So I Googled Asian women stereotypes. <laughs> just a second here. Okay, in a study done by the American Psychological Association, several Asian women were asked to describe their experiences with discrimination. There were three types of discrimination. One, being considered smart. Isn't that just the truth? Everybody knows the smartest species in the world are elephants, dolphins, and the Japanese. And think about the Japanese that eat dolphins. Another level of smart. You could say another echelon of smart. Who's smart here? Somebody ate dolphins for breakfast. Okay, number two, that all Asians look alike. What? You all look alike. <laughs> number three, that Asians are bad drivers. Yeah, I guess that one's true. <laughs> I got into three accidents and two of them were my fault. I agree, I'm a shitty driver, but you know, I've been feeling a, a bit embarrassed about my driving behavior, but I know that this space is a very safe space, so I wanted to talk about something a little bit more important. I've been feeling very guilty, very guilty. Um, I've been lustfully looking at others um, and sometimes getting carried away with it. I know I shouldn't do it, right? But I keep doing it over and over and over again, just to get, you know, that fix, just to get that validation hit. And it just feels so awful. And I go, you know, it's time to get serious about it. So people in Elk Hall, people of White Rock here tonight, I am going to admit that I have a problem. I am cheating on my 2023 planner. <laughs> I'm sorry, planner. I've had you for two months now, but I keep going to London Drugs and looking at better looking planners. I've looked at them all. I've brought two home with me. I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> this is kind of strange. How do I bring it back up? Okay, there you go. Sarah, not enough practice with the mic. Yeah, so um, as you can tell, 
I like to act. I like to write. I like to sing, paint, draw. I like to do all these kinds of expressive, artistic things. Um, and I would say I'm not, I don't really identify with my Japanese side or culture. I, I do think it's a little bit emotionally repressed. Um, and another reason I don't really associate with my Japanese side is that I was born here, um, so I'm Canadian born. And then second, the more and more I do this kind of recovery work, therapy and whatever, um, a lot of different things, I walk into my authentic self, um, my freely expressing self. The only time, though, where my Japanese side shows up is at work. So at work, I, I love it, actually. I mean, I put the music on. I really enjoy myself. I'm listening to my favorite tunes, hanging out with my coworkers. And I'm in flow, you know? I'm doing my favorite tasks. Then my boss shows up. And then I turn into this hyper-efficient Japanese <laughs> robot. <laughs> he asked me, could you do Project BLB first? And I go, hi. Yes, yes, sir. Well, I will do that, sir. Hey, yes. So she must. Yes. This I will do first. Yes, I will do that. Now, it sucks because it's so jarring on my body. And like he, he walks away and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm kind of back to my jellyfish kind of self, like just doing whatever I like to do. And then he comes back and I'm like, <laughs> and then he goes away and then he comes back. <laughs> and then he comes back again. <gasps> and then he comes back and forth. <laughs> then eventually the Japanese robot meets the determined Japanese samurai. <sighs> Harakiri shimasuka. Hi, Harakiri shimasuka. Yeah, that was a suicide joke. So my dad was Japanese, but my mom's Korean. And uh, does anyone know, and is anyone Korean in the house? Yep, that's, that's White Rock. <laughs> yeah, White Rock. Okay, does anyone know anyone Korean? Woo! Awesome. Okay, so you'll know that Korean parents are kind of funny. Uh, they really prioritize, they're very competitive, one, and they really prioritize academic achievement. So I grew up... Um, with my mom comparing me uh, with relatives for mine and their academic achievement. I really think my mom wanted me to be as smart as my cousin. So I ate her. <laughs> it worked with the dolphins. Mom, joke's on you. <laughs> but actually, in reality, yes, it was quite a harsh upbringing. Like, there's one time in college, um, I knew I wasn't getting the letter grades. I wasn't even, I, was eating, I wasn't getting the A's. I wasn't even really getting the B's. And um, 
you know, my mom talked to me and she knew that I wasn't um, making the cut. And she said, Yumi, I know you cannot be a doctor, but why don't you try becoming a dentist instead? <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me, mom? Do you know how hard it is to be a dentist? Do you know how hard it is to be alive? <laughs> so anyways, uh, that discussion didn't really go too well, but uh, she left and I went into my uh, bedroom here. <laughs> okay, yeah, so I went into my bedroom and then I looked at my mirror and I was like, okay, I need to have a heart to heart with myself. And I was like, Yumi, maybe you can never be a doctor. Maybe you can never be a dentist. But you know what? And maybe your mom can never really accept you for who you are. But you know what, Yumi? I accept you for who you are. Then there was a question that popped in. I was like, well, then what am I? And then the answer came from deep within. Deep within my brassiere. I am a comedian. <laughs> Look, Mom, I got A's now. Welcome back. Wasn't Yumi delightful? Yumi, yeah! Yumi, <laughs> clap, clap at home for her. She's wonderful. I'm just going to, we're going to go back to what she opened with of stereotypes because I'm just thinking about the last thing that she talked about, which was actually such a big subject. And I always think it's so cool with hilarity because comedians get up and they are talking about like really meaty subjects, but it's so funny that you don't actually really think about what a heavy topic this is. So one of the things that she said, talked about was self-acceptance despite family pressures and expectations. And we don't all come from a family where there's this pressure or expectation that looks exactly like what happened in Yumi's situation where it's like, you're going to be a doctor. And you know what? If you can't be a doctor, at least go for a dentist. Which, by the way, what does that say about dentists? <laughs> like, okay. Dentists are doctors though, aren't they? Yeah, seriously. So I think that's kind of the joke is like, it's the same pressure, but they there's this painting of, oh, you know what? Well, you could just be uh, a dentist instead. It's like, it's like saying, oh, well, maybe you could just be a lawyer. It's like they're all the same pressure. Um, so my point is like we may not we might not all have that, but there's a lot of unspoken pressures or rules, unspoken rules in a family or expectations that some of us take on we take them on or we take them on as a belief of it meaning something about us if we don't follow that sort of footprint of what our family expects or what the rules are. And I loved what she did there. She, I don't know how old she was when she did that, but it, it, the fact that she was able to somehow separate from that and say, you know what, let's have a little talk mm. with herself. You might not be able to be that, but that's okay because you're a comedian. That's beautiful. It was beautiful, yeah. 
Yeah, I've got something to say about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this this feeling of not feeling good enough when it comes to your parents, you know, that that thing that comes down the line and it looks different for different people. I know for uh, there's a lot, there's a big weight on the immigrant story. I mean, that's what I hear a lot is that people who kind of moved here to make a better life for their children, they expect their children to take full advantage of that. And that's a lot of pressure to put on people. I wonder, you know, I'm I'm sure. No, it's true. Yeah. Because like I was thinking about even something so subtle as, you know, no one's going to say it, but it could be in this family, we hide our emotions. Right. Or in, th- in this family, we don't, we don't cry. Yeah. And no one's going to say that, but it's what is modeled. Right. For example. Right. So that could mean. I go and have a little chat with myself in the mirror and I say, it's okay to have feelings. It's okay to show emotion. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to open up and be vulnerable and get hurt. But that would require that self-awareness, like what Yumi talks about, which I think is just so awesome, right? Like who knows if she had that exact discussion with herself, but the point is there was something there. Oh, actually, you know what I was going to say is when it's bigger like that and it's very obvious there's this pressure coming down on me. I have to do this. It's actually easier to go, I'm going to fight against that because it's something big and tangible that you can see. It's those more more subtle ones that are harder to catch that you don't necessarily realize because it's so subtle. Like you've, you've over the years really pointed out to me like, Hey, Karina, you have this wall up. I might not have even realized it because it may be subtle, right? I could get by life with it. And not necessarily know, unless someone pointed it out. Yeah, or unless you were on some sort of um, personal growth journey, which you are anyway, right? So, you know, it's going to knock up against it sooner or later. But it is interesting about this kind of our parents' approval, belief. Um, I don't know if I've said it on this podcast yet, but... I have this big hang up around my dad or I don't so much now, mm. but I have. And I think we mentioned it. Tell the, tell the story though that happened, the, how the hang up got released. Yeah. Which what, story? what happened this weekend? Oh my goodness. Well, um, I went on this uh, therapeutic course as aforementioned. What am I trying to say? No. So the point is like you, you did some work around it last weekend in this, in this thing that you went to. and you reached out to him because you wanted to know, does he support you? Like you had, does he believe in me? Does he believe in you? Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like I'm, I'm doing this, I'm doing this book proposal. I've got this idea to tour this show and it's all feeling like I'm trying to shoot my dreams and visions through the eye of a needle. Like it's almost impossible to achieve the things that I think I can achieve. And I really appreciate it when my dad says I can do something because I believe him. There's something about him that when he says something, I believe him, but he refuses to say that he believes in me. He always makes a joke about it. I'll be like, oh, dad, I've got some writer's block. I don't know if I can do it. You know, like, who am I? You know, and he'll go put it on the back burner. Maybe it'll catch fire. You know, you say that sort of Just stuff to up. me, right? Anyway, so I phoned him up right after this weekend and I'm I'm all vulnerable and I'm crying on the phone to him. The poor guy's like, um, it sounds like you're a bit tired. You've had a long weekend. 
And I was like, Dad, I just wanted you to just say you believe in me. He's like, well, uh, you know, I think, you know, what you do is you always go out, you say you'll do something and you do it. And, you know, and I think that's brilliant. But then I realized he doesn't actually believe in me when it comes to this book because he, he just doesn't. So he said something again, like, oh, you'll, you'll probably get it done. Maybe, maybe not. You know, and then it's like, has another laugh about it. But I realized I don't need his approval. And also, it's not even that he dis- not doesn't approve of me. It's not that he doesn't believe in me or anything. It's that he doesn't see it's possible in his own mind for himself. So how can he see it's possible for me? But I've seen it in my own mind. So I know it's possible for me. It's a vision that I can, I can hold for myself. I don't need him to see that vision or believe in my vision. You and I, like talking to yourself in the mirror, we're okay. Like we're we got okay. this. Despite what, because you could say despite what anyone else thinks, but the truth of the matter is it's our parents. And there is something about that connection where it's like, oh, if I get disapproval here, it brings us back down to childhood where it's like survival. Where you're, When you're like a baby, little, it's that instinct, like I need these people to survive. And when you're a baby... They're your gods. They are literally the gods of your world. It's like they have complete control over your life and you just look to them for everything. And so it's like, as an adult, cutting that cord is, you know, it's, it's okay, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my question to you is, how do you feel after this? Like, has there been a shift? I feel clarity, really. I mean, I think the thing is like, we've all got our own access to our own abundance and our own sort of vortex of endless possibilities, but we're not in that with someone else. So they have their own progress, or I won't even call it progress, but wherever they are at, and that's what they can see. So we limit ourselves by attaching our possibilities to what someone else thinks their possibilities are or our possibilities are. If you can get into the freedom of full disconnect from what somebody else thinks about you, feels about you, believes about you, you that's true freedom because now your possibilities are endless and it's just up to you. It's actually massive. And so that is a gift that your dad gave to you because if he had said, I believe in you, you would still be in some way imprisoned by whatever he believed in you. And and the truth of the matter is like, we shouldn't imprison ourselves based on what anyone believes for us. Although it is of course nice because sometimes you get a little bolster when someone says, someone might believe in you before you believe in yourself, right? Yeah, we do need people to see more in us than we can see in ourselves. All right. Well, thank you for tuning in and sharing and liking and loving to our amazing episode five. Thank you to Yumi for providing us with a topic. And thank you to my co-host, the lovely Lizzie Allen. Take care all. See you soon. Dear listeners, we are a two-woman shop here, and this is a little labor of love. So anything you can do to show us some love, our love language is subscribing, sharing on social media, and coming to one of our many shows. And if you're feeling really adventurous, take a course. Don't be afraid of a good time. 
We love you. We love you. We love you. We're out.